the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoshio Podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Good afternoon. It's 4.02 and you're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Forecast calling for a beautiful rest of the afternoon. Got around to a high of 60 today, but tonight skies will cloud up. Get down to a little about 33. It'll be a chill in the air. Tomorrow, staying cloudy. A couple of showers possible later in the day and a high of 45. Flyers won their eighth in a row last night, 2-1 over Vancouver. Carter Hart, 41 saves. Sean Couturier and Jake Voracek each with a goal. Next up, uh, the L.A. Kings. They'll visit the center this Thursday. The Sixers, in the meantime, home tonight against Toronto at 8 o'clock. Very excited to have... uh, Hall of Fame pitcher John Smoltz joining us in just a couple of moments. He's also going on to do a lot of broadcasting and uh, a lot of other interesting things. He has a great foundation, which does much charitable work. And um, we're going to give him a quick call here in a moment and bring him onto the program. Looking forward to that. We also have some giveaways this hour. So tune in and uh, enjoy. It's the Tim DeMoss Show. Very glad to have John joining us here in just a couple of moments on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Live and local, it's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. It's 4.06 on AM 560 WFIL, Philadelphia and WFIL.com. Listening to the Tim DeMoss Show, and we are very grateful to have the privilege of bringing in John Smoltz onto our show. Hello, sir. Hey, good afternoon. How are you? Great. Thanks for taking time to be a part of the program. My pleasure. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a lot of my, when I, I've known you for a lot of years and had the opportunity to cover the Phillies and, and when you were with the Braves and even at the, the back end with the uh, Cardinals and Red Sox and wanted to talk a little baseball. Obviously, that's that's certainly in your wheelhouse, but also a bit of broadcasting uh, and uh, and some other things, too. So I, I, I wanted to start with, if we could, even I'm a chronological person at times, when it comes to baseball specifically, and because I have a couple of sons and daughters who play baseball and softball, when did you really get the idea that this is something you could make a go at as far as, uh, it's one thing to think about it, one other thing to actually know, you know what, I might have what it takes. Yeah, of course, dreaming about something uh, and att- attaining that goal are two different things. you got to have process in place and certain disciplines and stay away from certain things. So I was fortunate to be able to do that. But I would say probably, I don't know, somewhere between my junior year uh, in high school when I really believed I had a chance uh, to compete at the highest level. You know, it's one thing in your own peer group, in your own town, to be able to be pretty good. But when you experience outside tournaments and outside play and see um, – you know, some of the great players from around the country, you start gauging where you are and what you need to do to get to the next level. So I think for me, confidence that uh, 
I grew about six inches my junior year and, and, and started getting uh, coordinated with the size 12 feet that I had at five foot eight. So, um, that, that helped. Yeah. Yeah. And did you ever have along the way some things that might've detracted you, whether it's a, a job or another sport or other opportunities that, that at least appeared to maybe pull you off course a bit or a roadblock of sorts. And then you kept on going. Yeah, you know, what's amazing about uh, my journey, besides with grad great parents that gave me an opportunity to, to pursue all options, um, base, basketball, baseball, and then football was something that, you know, my dad wasn't going to let me play once I got to high school, which is the right move for me. I wasn't very big, um, even though I loved playing quarterback. You know, my future was going to be in baseball or basketball, and I really wanted to play basketball in college. So the pull was whether or not to go to college to try to play both or sign out of high school and pursue pretty much the sport that was going to take me professionally. And I chose to do the, the latter, but I think through a lot of failures of different tournaments and things that didn't go right actually served well for me. I served as a motivator to become better. Uh, I talk all the time, wherever I am, whenever I give talks, doesn't matter what and who I'm talking to failure is a big part of my life. And knowing how to deal with failure knowing how to be, to learn from it. And it's not a, it's not a roadblock. It's not the end. It's just the beginning of something even greater. And I think those who embrace failure become great. I've never met too many people in in life that had a, a, a spoon fed life that they never had to work for anything and were handed a boat full of either opportunity, power or money. And I think the one thing that everybody I've ever talked to that climbed the ladder, whether it was corporately or, um, athletically, they all had encountered some sort of failure that decided to go one way or another, run from it or run towards it. And I've always chosen to run towards it. John Smoltz is with us, a uh, Hall of Fame pitcher and broadcaster and uh, many other endeavors currently, including a lot of charitable work. Uh, did you learn that at an early age? Because, you know, you, you see a lot of kids, you know, <laughs> watched a lot of Little League baseball where the kids get upset and ah, forget it, I'm not going to play anymore or take my ball and go home. And uh, did you have that instilled in you with your parents when you were young or what did you learn that? The biggest thing I learned, I mean, for me, I was self-taught in everything I did. So when you're self-taught, you don't have the pressure of your parent knowing something that is trying to instill in you or pushing you into something you don't want to do. And and um, just learning how to adapt and learning how to overcome whatever it is that I didn't know or hadn't experienced. And once you experience it, then you have a choice to decide on how you want to handle whatever comes with it. And it's easy to handle success. And for the most part, it's a lot harder to handle disappointment or failure or getting cut. And you know, for me, um, there were plenty of opportunities to where I had an opportunity to learn from not being where I wanted to be or succeeding. Uh, and I and I put myself in situations to give myself the best chance of success was to avoid anybody that wasn't for me or anybody that was going to take away from my goal. And that included the peer pressure of when I grew up to the distractions that existed in the time frame of which I grew up. Now, there seems to be a lot more of that, and there seems to be a lot more opportunities to get sidetracked, and a lot more information that tells you why you can't statistically do something. And to me, I, uh, I love uh, my journey, and my parents gave me the, the uh, basically outlined what my, my obligations were, and if I did my obligations, it was God first, family second, school third, and sports fourth. And I, I realized that some people and some households just have that upside down. And and when you do, then all you have to live through or for is whatever your number one priority is. And 
again, I, I was given the blessings to go do something apart from what I learned. I was a musician from the age of four to seven. That's what my mom and dad were. They were music teachers. They, t- they taught the accordion. That's what I started out playing. And I, I learned a lot of discipline from it, but it's not what I really was passionate about. And so my passion got burst, if you will, at seven, eight years old, and it, it never stopped till I was 41 and walked away from the game. <laughs> that's a great story. That's a great, and that's a really great perspective. John Smoltz is uh, kind enough to spend some time with us today. I know your first year that you did make the big leagues, the, you know, baseball is a game of numbers, failure and all that. And so your mindset certainly fits that, you know, what you were encountering at the, at the front end first year, I think you were two and seven. And, but then the second year it bloomed and everything started to flip after the first year, did you did you take it like, you know what, this isn't what I was hoping for numbers-wise, but I know I can get there as opposed to being discouraged by it? Yeah, it was a constant feeling of adapting. In the big leagues, you have to learn how to oh, compensate for what you didn't do or what you weren't prepared for. And, you know, it's a game of failures. The guy that hits um, gets three hits out of ten, fails seven out of ten times, and he's considered a great hitter. So, you think about all the sports analogies that exist, and baseball really is how do you deal with those setbacks. And, you know, I win my first big league game in front of 40,000 people in Shea Stadium, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is unbelievable, and then go on to basically go one and six, one and seven the rest of the way. Humility, humbleness, and then there's that gut check time of where you sit back and go, okay, this is what I need to improve on. Most people can say from their couch what they would or could do, but never have the guts to actually be get off the couch and do it, put themselves in that arena. And I liken it to like game shows. You know, you sit back and at the couch, time's irrelevant. You have all the time that you think under a game show clock that you have the answer before the participant does until you're actually under the gun and your brain gets tense and you freeze up and you don't have that easy answer that you have at the couch. And I think that's a lot like life in sports, you know, until you – you don't know what you don't know, and then once you know it, it's up to you to determine how you're going to embrace it and what you're going to do to change it. And, you know, I, I used to tell my kids all the time growing up, and, and now I've had one of my daughters uh, reiterate it to her class that she's teaching at a Christian school. I said, you know, the choice between bitter and better is just one vowel. And, boy, that one vowel changes the whole meaning of how you approach things. You either can be bitter and stay a victim, or you can be better. And I choose to be better. That's what I'd always tell my kids, you know, and they'd roll their eyes. And and that's kind of the way that I've adopted, you know, my life, and, and especially in the sporting world. It's like, yeah, I could sit back and complain and be bitter, or I could choose to be better and um, do something about it. As, you know, they say an attitude's a choice, and certainly that is definitely true. And through all my setbacks, I always analyze and, and, and look back at what I did and see how I could become better. And then later in my career, I learned through my grandmother, an Italian grandmother that didn't know much about sports and her ability to just communicate honestly. She'd say to me in the middle of my career, you know, that I never smiled enough, that I wasn't, you know, I used to smile all the time when I was a kid and I used to have fun at what I did. And I tried to explain to her and how it was a business and how, I, you know, how tough it is. And then I realized, no, it's, it's really not. There is an opportunity each day to choose to smile because this really does I do enjoy what I'm doing. And from that point on, you know, really from her funeral, when I spoke, I realized that, that I would make a moment every single day the rest of my life in competition to choose to smile at some point, even if things didn't go the way I wanted it to go. Hall of Fame pitcher John Smoltz is our guest. You know, you, as you're speaking, there's so many things pop to mind. One of them, the whole balance of being a competitor 
And, you know, some people think to be competitive, you have to be so intense all the time. And then you'll see other players who are lighthearted because when you stop and think about it, I've said this to friends along to your point that when you're playing baseball and you pitched in one of the most amazing games, lots of them, it's still called game, right? Game seven. It's still the word game. And, you know, so the biggest thing, the biggest thing about sports and professional life is it's changed in every aspect of life with social media and the pressures that surround everybody's trying to take somebody down and everybody's trying to prove why you're not what you think you are. And I think that's the one thing that robs us of joy. And as a Christian, obviously joy central and everything else is peripheral, but you don't get connected to that as much when you're inundated with all of the outside noise that you can kick or corrupt you. And, and the one thing that I, fortunately, I'm not on social media. Secondly, I don't pay attention to the noise. If I did, it would, it would totally take me away from what I want to do. But when you get in, in, you know, in locked in a battle and you're trying to uh, compete at the highest level, you can lose sight of the ultimate goal and the ultimate prize. And I think that sometimes takes us down a path where no different than like a wave you, you know, in an ocean, you, you start one way and you end up, how did you get tossed back and forth? How did you end up over there? And, that's an easy process in the game of sports. And even though it is a game, it becomes our profession. It becomes our livelihood. It becomes who we are in the, on the outside. It's not who we really are um, that, that vindicates us. But those lights and that power and everything around it can cause you know, a person to be consumed by their environment. And once that happens, you, know, you're, you, don't, you don't go about life in a way where there's much peace and joy. And that that's easy to say until you've been through it and understand the journey of really truly living for one purpose instead of trying to please everybody, but living for one purpose and that's Christ. And I think that that separates for most people, the ability to turn it on and turn it off to actually not be consumed by what people think or, or be tossed back and forth by social media or perception. And, and for me, um, thanks to my upbringing and thanks to so many people who helped mentor me in my life, that was a, 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 I was able to not go too far down the road when I was headed down that road of, of totally pleasing people and totally trying to make people feel, um, you know, that I was a good person or this or that. And I realized that that was chasing after the wind. And uh, I started learning that if I only honored God with what he had given me, to do my very best, to be a fighter, to compete under the rules, to to, to represent myself in a way that, um, you know, I'm a big character guy, that those will stand the test of time. My jersey will come off, my athletic skills will diminish, but who I am as a person will be defined, you know, by my actions. So um, that that's really, when you talk about it's a game, it is, but for many who play it, it becomes an obsession. It becomes everything they are. It becomes their identity. And when the lights stop shining, that's when the transition off the field or off the court or off the ice or whatever arena you're in becomes much more difficult if you're hollow or if all you have to live for was that identity in sports. Yeah. John Smoltz is our guest. And you have plenty of you know, baseball, I think, specifically is a game of numbers. And you have plenty of numbers. They're fun to discuss the, the wins and the saves and the lead in the league in different categories and all of those things. And so you would have enjoyed those along the way. But was, did you find yourself, was there a point in your career that, that the, the, you know, how many wins do I have or am I leading the league or whatever? Is there a pivotal point, a game, a season that, or something that happened that strengthened your position of what you just explained? 
You know, uh, I used to think that I'm a goal-oriented guy, and I used to set goals every year. I used to think that those were attainable, and then the ones that I thought were attainable I'd set that were out of my reach, and I'd set ones that were so far out of my reach to never keep me complacent. And what I realized in a short time frame is that setting goals is nice. It's a really nice approach to uh, staying on a disciplined course, but realizing that when you fall short of those goals that you're actually not falling short in theory, and I realized that setting goals should not be my gauge, that each and every day um, to do and be my very best, that whatever happens, happens, that I can't be, uh, again, uh, consumed with the outcome. The process matters. You know, living life matters, and the impact that I have as a person matters. It's not just the wins and losses. It's not just winning a Cy Young or going 2-7 and seven that identify me as a uh, popular person or not, or, or, or a good dad or a bad dad, I realized that chasing those things was not a priority of mine. I never played the game for the Hall of Fame. I never played the game to amass numbers, to say I amass numbers. I played the game to be the absolute best version of what God had intended me to be. And, and you know, he's got a pretty good rule book in the Bible of which we all fall short, but to strive to become more like him would make me the best teammate I could be, would make me the best player I could be, and obviously a leader. And those things, uh, in and of themselves, you know, don't have destruction at its core. It it doesn't have an expiration, even though our bodies have an expiration date. And so that helped me transition from the game of baseball when the uniform got taken off, whatever I was going to do next, which ended up being broadcasting or playing a little bit of golf, that I I could I could easily transition to that because I'm not consumed with that that celebrityism or that power or that look at me um, syndrome. And, you know, for me, that faith that I learned to trust back in 1995 became the essential um, uh, foundation for which that, you know, many things would come and go and happen, not all good. And then I would be able to handle it uh, at a much, uh, a much easier way than the way I was going about handling things on my own strength. Yeah. John Smoltz is our guest. John, I don't. I want to respect your time. Do you have? We have a short break. Can you? Because I, I wanted to touch on the two things you mentioned: your broadcasting and a little bit of your your faith in terms of how it plays out with your foundation. Can you hang through the break and, and talk about those two things before we let you go? Would that work Absolutely. for you? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful. Very kind of you. That's John Smoltz. He is our guest this afternoon. It's the Tim DeMoss Show, AM five sixty WFIL WFIL dot com. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. 425 on the Tim DeMoss Show, AM560 WFIL, WFIL.com. As I'm listening to that uh, spot there, I'm thinking uh, John Smoltz, our guest. We, we've talked in the past about Christian music on a side note there. Remember, I think you said you like Third Day. And I'm, I'm not sure what, what bands are you into or have you listened to much in the last five, ten years? You know, um, I I usually listen to local radio stations in Atlanta and uh, go to Passion City Church. And obviously, um, my greatest claim to fame—it's not even a claim to fame—is okay. that I listen to music and I couldn't tell you the words to one song all the way through for whatever reason. I know I used to envy people who could sing the whole words to a song. Yeah. For me, I I enjoy listening to it and I hear it, but it doesn't resonate to where I flat out can remember every artist or every song or every word. So um, in my, I couldn't even tell you all the, the, the songs I have in my phone. I just listen to them. I go to sleep 
<laughs> yes. I get on a plane. And uh, I, I always tell people, you know, I like music I can understand. I like music, obviously, that's soothing. And, uh, you know, growing up as a accordion player, when you listen to Lawrence Welk and Frankie Yankovic and all the different people that don't <laughs> even know, people don't even know who they are, you learn to appreciate different forms of music and not necessarily, um, you know, lock into to one sense. But yeah. that's that's kind of my marinade. Uh, I uh, I enjoy uh, all kinds of music that I can understand. I like it. My my wife's dad uh, played and still does. He's ninety and still plays accordion. And uh, when we have family reunions, they're Dutch missionaries to Brazil. And when we have times together, the bring the accordion out and gather around everybody. So absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, so you mentioned uh, for those just joining us, we're talking with John Smoltz who pitched for the Atlanta Braves for many years. We had a lot of games you know, between the Braves and the Phillies. And of course we got to watch the Braves in the playoffs year after year and had some success there in the playoffs. And you had an extremely accomplished career, but you were talking whether you were a starter, even as a relief pitcher and a lot of different distinctions you've had professionally that your walk with the Lord is really what has defined you and, and, and where your foundation and rock is. And so I, I love what you said, because um, there's a verse in Proverbs, I, I don't have it handy, but it says, do you see someone who excels in their work? He will stand before kings. And there is a, an importance to being able to take what you do seriously, and but at the same time, it's not who you are. So as you translate right. it out of, out of baseball into, as it's turned out, broadcasting, just talk about that. And, and you know, you're a, you're a personable person, so I'm not surprised and articulate, so I'm not surprised you have moved into broadcasting. But did you have it in the back of your mind as a pitcher one day, you know, I might like to try that, or or how did no, that come about? No, I really, I really didn't. You know, I thought I had things mapped out. I really did think I had a pretty good game plan to life, and obviously God has shown me different things, and uh, I've, been, I've, I've been aware of some and probably still uh, at times wish I was aware of more, but you know, I, I'm very content in who I am and what I do, and I only do the things that I really enjoy, or at least that's the way I've gone about life. You know, I passionately pursue that which I enjoy, and my passion usually shows the transparency of, of who I am. And I'm not ashamed of who I am or what I stand for, and, and certainly there's a point in everyone's life where you get to a point where you're either, you know, kind of tiptoeing around and what you think you believe and what you stand for versus standing on firm ground and not being ashamed. And as my Christian walk, you know, it's not perfect. No one's is, and there's flaws everywhere you look, but the, the, the ability to have peace and be content in who you are, no matter where the arrows come from, they're not, they're not arrows anymore. You know, you're wearing, a, you know, put on the full armor of God, God, I wish I would get up every day and literally do that to where I'm embracing myself for the, for the battle that's out there. And I've always lived my life in a simple way that, that isn't coming across that I have all the answers. But as I transitioned, even from baseball to broadcasting, I applied the same principles I did in baseball. I'm not afraid to laugh. I'm not afraid to laugh at myself. I'm not afraid to learn. And when you have those simple principles that you are not where you need to be, but you're attaining to get somewhere, then you'll apply those principles. And a lot of those have laid out, you know, biblically, um, I think the danger that we sometimes do is we pick and choose the biblical standards that we want to live by and kind of ignore the ones that might yeah. cause us to think differently. Right. But human nature and is is that that there is a a battle of what is popular in the world and what is secular versus what is eternal and and that battle will exist from the day you're born to the day you exit and 
I realize that more than ever, and I'm always intrigued as to even why I do the things I do. What 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 habits are formed that need to break, or you know, muscle memory. You know, they say it takes 21 days to change a muscle memory. I'm sure it's some somewhat of the same to change a habit. And you're on fire one minute, and then you're floating the next, and then you're streaky at best. I always say when I go to speak, I'm streaky at best as a Christian when it comes to the daily things that. Um, need to happen because life gets in the way. And, and, and then I'm reminded of certain events or things that happen to where I could be better than streaky and, you know, to be the best husband I can be or father. Um, those are things that, that, you know, are daily um, a battle. And my job has taken me now in places and I'm busier now than I ever was. Um, not was, that wasn't my intent, <laughs> but it is what it is now. And, I'm trying to make the both the best of both worlds that I now have um, engaged in. I had my first grandson from my daughter, which is an unbelievable gift and joy. He's six months old and can't wait to spend every chance I can with him as he matures and you know grows into what we think might be a phenomenal athlete. But who knows? And um, <laughs> you know, I think the answer. The answer is I don't have the answers anymore. I have dreams and goals. I'm going to play on the senior tour this year in three events. Yeah. with sponsor exemptions. I'm totally fired up about that. Right. I can't tell you how excited I am about that. But, you know, apart from that, apart from setting my desires and leaving them in his hands, I, I still have, you know, things that I want to do. And if those are opportunities I get, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it to the best of my ability. And if not, if they're taken from me, then, uh, I, like I said earlier, I'll be content in who I am and what I get to do. John Smoltz is uh, our guest this afternoon on the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. Uh, the Proverbs 22, 29 is the verse I was thinking of. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They'll uh, serve before kings. They will not serve before uh, low men, so to speak, or, or of those of low rank. And uh, just so, again, to drive home that point of wanting to excel without it being who you are. You mentioned golf. I know back in the day, your buddies, uh, Greg Maddox and, and Tom Glavin, and you used to have lots of competitions. Do you happen to have a fun story of, of any of the golf outings or how competitive you all were and what you guys, what lengths you'd go to to win the uh, win the matchups? We would have so much fun. It extended our careers. We really had the ability to uh, separate our job uh, from the things that we got to do that were fun. And and even though we would be together a lot on the golf course, um, we would create competition like we did it from the batting practice times to, you know, inner competition to make each other better. Uh, and I think the fact that, that I would always take on their two best balls was always a tremendous challenge for me and, and one that, you know, I didn't win a lot. But when I did, it sure felt good, and I would let them know about it. But we certainly did have, um, you know, times that we will we will never forget, times that enriched our seasons, our careers. And um, we have – it's up to me. I've got to make this happen. Unfortunately, my schedule's worse. But we have talked about having kind of a reunion overseas in Scotland and Ireland golf trip that I, I need to set up soon. Uh, so that we don't lose the time that we've been given uh, to to really kind of reminisce and, and go play. I've never played golf over there, which is hard to believe because anyone who's a true golfer knows that, you know, golf over there is something special. So uh, I'm looking forward to, to 
for the time that might be created to do that, and um, Lord willing, we'll get a chance to do that very soon. The producer of our show, Joe Harnett, is uh, Irish. He has roots back in the motherland, so I'll see if he has any connections with any insight. He's looking at me like, well, maybe we'll find something. <laughs> so if I find yeah. out, I'll, I'll send it your way. On the broadcasting thing, Braves games, MLB Network, TBS, Fox Sports over the years did the World Series this past fall most recently. And and I'm thinking of this from a uh, just to two questions. One is how much how much work do you have to do because things can change. The game could be very dull, or like the Super Bowl a couple of days ago really wasn't as exciting as it could have been. And you have to sell something or or at least entertain people for a few hours. Do you find that to be difficult at all? Or have you had some times where you've had to you know rack your brain because you played the game, so you do have the advantage of being able to tell stories if nothing else. But what's it like trying to carry and you know work with the audience for a few hours, whether or not the game's going great or not? Well, with baseball, unlike the Super Bowl, you get one chance in the Super Bowl. You get seven, six, five, four, depending on how long it goes. So you're at the flow and the mercy of the way the games go. And yeah. it's getting increasingly difficult at times because of the information overkill and because everybody's opinions in the game um, in a, an analytical way to balance the both worlds. Uh, we are all in one bucket, it seems like, right now in an analytical world. I played the game for 21 years and I have an experience that I can bring to the to the audience. I played in every just in just about every situation imaginable, and at times, you know, the game today has has been uh, a different game, and you have to adapt and apply yourselves to where you can state your opinion and state opinions of that which are relevant in the game today. And I've never worked harder in my life, um, but like w- life and the world, everyone wants to shoot somebody down. Everyone has a critique. Uh, they hide behind the mask of social media so that they can say whatever they want and not really ever address the person. And that's one thing I'm, I'm blessed to not care about. Um, and as I mentioned to you earlier, I, I don't foresee myself ever getting on. I know there's great opportunities to promote so many different causes and charities, but at the end of the day, I have to know who I am and how I'm wired and, um, you know, to apply my craft now to broadcasting, I've had to watch more, learn more and, and, you know, gain knowledge of things that have changed that no longer are, um, something that I'm used to. So that's okay. As long as we just don't discount somebody's opinion at all in a way where they're relevant, you know, and I think that's where we're, you know, whether it's the political fever that exists today, it's almost like you're an enemy if you don't believe the way I believe. And I hope we don't. I hope we find a way that even in the game of baseball, that you can have two separate thoughts without somebody making an absolutes. And, and sometimes I feel like analytics in some circles they have the absolutes. There's no such thing as an absolute in baseball. There are so many more components that have um, to deal with. And you know, it's like no one can learn what I know. Uh, I yes. can learn what other people do through a computer and through certain things, but you can't learn my experience. I can give you my experience, and that's what I try to do and and, and blend the two. Yeah, yeah, it makes total sense. Uh, and um, John Smoltz is our guest. As you're talking there, the, one of the thoughts that comes to mind even is what makes a winner, for example, after the Super Bowl. You, you, people, There was some talk about Julian Edelman who made all those catches. Like, is he a Hall of Fame receiver? And uh, statistically, career-wise, he's very much middle of the pack. He, he's in like the hundreds or something in terms of career catches and yards. But he makes these big plays and big moments. In, and, you know, I, just in general, I wanted to ask you uh, on the side at least, like, 
your thoughts on like, well, would you rather have somebody who's got a lot of stats or would you rather have somebody who knows how to win or, or come through in key moments or, you know, you can strike out three times, but are they of the metal where they can make sure they're focused to, when the ground ball comes to throw it across or 0 for 3, but they make a play to seal the game at the end. They, I'm sure you've had to come across that, that those things in very practical, you know, everyday life when you were playing the game. Yeah, what's interesting about even trying to determine that kind of opportunity that not everybody gets, it's the opportunities you get in making the most of them. And certainly guys and timing are going to be put in spots to either be the hero or the goat. And some people never get to that place, so they're only they're only basically judged on what they did in the regular season. But you know what I think is unique and kind of overlooked in life at times, and I'm not making an incriminating mark, but you know the season started out for this young man with a suspension. Right. And right. the suspension it was never really talked about. Now, he had an incredible Super Bowl and was an incredible player, but somehow, some way, that gets, you know, Right. That is what it is. So <laughs> right. it's an it's, it's very interesting on in how life is pursued and how life is perceived. And you know, our sport has been dealing with that for a long time. And and with the the, the talk of of what is right or what is wrong has over time got washed away. People over time start giving up for what is right and what is wrong. And it's just it's just interesting on how you choose to to look at things and in, in in your sphere or in your perspective and. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I can tell you this, the man that plays quarterback for yeah. the New England Patriots plays a slower game than anybody else. And his wide receiver, who got the MVP, has been connected with him and is a great story in and of itself from, a, I believe, a college quarterback to a slot receiver who is probably set the all-time record no one will ever touch the records in his not only Super Bowls but in his playoffs. It's uh, I know the world's tired of seeing New England win, but you got to experience and understand greatness, and we get a chance to see something that we'll never see for the rest of our lives. And when you say slow, uh, slower game, just I think what you're saying there is, you know, in big games that things have a tendency to accelerate, and you're saying that Tom Brady has the ability to really slow it slow down. It down, right? It's amazing. And it's a component that not everybody possesses. Everyone thinks athletes, if given the possibility of greatness, would all be great under every circumstance. And that's not the case. And Tom Brady has proven why there is a different level of play when everyone is looking upon you to perform. And and quite frankly, this might have been one of his worst Super Bowls, but that just tells you what the expectations are like when a man can play this game with so many split seconds decision so many crucial parts of the quarterback position and play it at a level at 41 years old to where it does look like he's playing in slow motion as an athlete i can appreciate how incredible that is Um, from somebody who may not understand what that means that is a separator of greatness and uh, you know well you led the league in wins when you were were 39 and you had a bunch of good seasons up and through 40 age 40 was there anything that in terms of training preparation taking care of your body or Blessed, blessed partly with good genes. How did you for your, for yourself? Do you have anything uh, that you could attribute that to? Just like Tom Brady has been doing well into his early forties here. Yeah, I was blessed to overcome certain surgeries, six of them, while I was playing. I was blessed genetically to do certain things, and I did feel like when the game was the biggest and the highest pressure, they, they, I felt great. I had dreamt of this as a kid, and I never felt nervous in any of those games. So the amount of playoff games that I was able to be. 
uh, put in was an absolute luxury. Um, and I always felt like uh, I could compete as long as I wanted to compete. Now, ultimately, the right shoulder blew up in 2008. I was able to come back in 2009, not be the way type of pitcher I wanted to be, but successfully was able to finish with the St. Louis Cardinals. And then, as like I tell people, you know, I just decided not to show up for work the next year. Mm-hmm. And that's how I walked away from the game. And I walked away from the game in a way that fulfilled everything that I ever wanted to do. And now uh, I'm trying to fill the competitive void with uh, competitive golf and seeing how far I can take that. And at 51 years old, I'm starting to feel some of those uh, 21 years of baseball I played with my shoulders. But yeah. um, like anything else, learn how to adapt and, and approach it in a way where uh, I embrace it. Well, and um, I'm yeah. doing that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so those just tuning in, chat with John Smoltz. Uh, and, and before we let you go, because you've been kind enough to spend a lot of time with us this afternoon, uh, you mentioned, you used the word charity a while back. And I know it, part of your life ha- has always been, but even probably even more so now, uh, johnsmoltz29.com. And you have a, a lot of, um, you know, agencies and organizations you help support. And I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to give you a quiz because I'm, <laughs> but, but I wanted to ask if there's any of, of the ones on the list that, that are there that maybe jump to mind right away that are easy for you to chat about uh, in terms of why uh, it start. The website says our mission is to honor God with this foundation by supporting ministries, people, and organizations who seek to spread the gospel and care for the physical, tangible, and financial needs of others, based on passages in the chapters in Matthew 25 and 28, and there's some other scripture there too. So just share, if you would, about your foundation and your heart for it. Yeah, one of the things that, you know, fortunately growing up, I've always been aware of my circumstances, the blessings that I've been given. My parents set a good foundation in me to never forget where I came from and help those around me. And so with my lovely wife, Catherine, who is the pioneer of making all of this happen without her, I don't think it would have been as easily transitioned into literally putting it down in a foundational website and then, you know, having it be a uh, priority in our lives, whether it be from tithing to opportunities to um, impact uh, the kingdom of God in, in many different ways. So there's not just one way to do it. You know, it started for me in the King's Ridge Christian School, and I've been able to turn that over and it's self-sustaining and running and I'm glad to see that, you know, an idea that I believe was birthed out of God nudging me in this area and then my my impulsive and uh, stubborn ways of trying to get this to across the, the finish line, I realized that, you know, passionately pursuing what we, what we think, um, you know, there's a lot of good things that you can add to the world without it being coming from honoring God, meaning there's a lot of great things you can do. But I think the opportunity now that I understand that's before me is to impact those in a way that are less fortunate or weren't able to on their own. And so my wife, Catherine, does a great job researching, um, does a great job understanding the causes that are near and dear. And it doesn't mean it's always going to stay the same. Um, we, Whether it's my speaking or whether it's the calendar that I have, um, I'm aware that you know the opportunity to do this is exactly that. It's not a have to, it's a want to. And uh, hopefully, just hopefully my kids will be able to understand the impact that it has. And they will in turn, one day be able to be part of it when we're no longer here, help run it, and maybe extend it in their own ways and have a a fingerprint in in what they get to do uh, that hopefully their parents have showed them as a 
is a, is really an opportunity to, to honor God. Yeah, and in just looking through the list, there's Doctors Without Borders, there's Crew at Campus Crusade for Christ, there's a Focus on the Family, which we actually air on our radio station, 7 o'clock every morning, and then Police Athletic League, we work with them here in Philly. There's lots of different, it's, it's a neat list, and uh, 29 charities are on here. I'm guessing that's intentional. <laughs> you know, that, that, that is, I don't know if that's intentional, to be honest with you. <laughs> Uh, that just may happen to be a, a, one of those nuances um, that um, strangely happens, like for somebody telling me that my speech in the Hall of Fame was 29 minutes and 29 seconds, that uh, by no means was that even close to even wanting that to happen, yet alone 29 minutes happening. So That's um, crazy. Wow. You know what? I'm going to ask my wife about that. that, that now that you mentioned that. Um, <laughs> and the foundation, the site is, again, for those listening in, johnsmoltz29.com, if you want to look that up. We'll let you go, go, John, but you mentioned speaking. I wanted to ask you about that and how people can pray for you and your starting and closing book. Maybe you could wrap up with uh, mentioning your book and if, if speaking engagements, you're very busy, so I don't know how that works, if there's a, you know, what, how that how that happens and how people Yeah, any chance I can, you know, whether it's an FCA banquet or whether it's speaking at a church, uh, my time is very limited, much more today than it ever was. And and I, I just look at them as divine appointments for me. I tell the I tell whoever I'm speaking in front of that these are things that I've learned that I hope to pass on, but I'm listening to what I'm about to say because life happens. And when it happens in a way where you don't know where you got from point A to point B you realize that God has given you an appointment to actually hear what you're about to say. At least that's the way I feel. And, um, you know, for me, it's to actually not be as streaky as I claim at times to be so that I could be more diligent in my time that I have here left on earth. So it's opportunities that I look forward to, to engaging. And, and if it makes an impact in one person, that's awesome. If it's many, that's even better. Um, but it's really, it's really more about the calendar and the time created to even have that, um, to even have those opportunities, because unfortunately, I turn down a lot more than I'm able to speak at, sure. and it's flattering that I get asked that much. Uh, but it's uh, it's all time sensitive, and it's all got to work with the calendar. I've got one coming up February 12th, March 28th, uh, and a couple more down the road. So, okay, I, I look at it as, as as opportunities um, that um, if they if they work with the calendar, I'm I'm fired up to be able to do it. Okay, and the book starting and closing is that, is that at least one way people can kind of dig a little further and, and know you better. What's that? What, just if you yeah, share that the book, book is something that you know. If I had to go back in time, I would have taken a little more time to do it. Um, it turned out uh, very well, but we did it really fast. And it's one of those things I said I would never do. Uh, I'm glad I did it because it's a process. I wish everybody could go. And if they never published a book, realize all the things that it had an impact in their lives, the hands of those who help shape who you are, help shape who, how you think. And then the reality of, you know, my life is a transparent, um, being, being transparent to explain to people. Again, if the book helps two people, I have considered a success, one person, because I really believe that my life, although it was very boring, um, at least that's the way I thought of it. One of those guys that didn't stray too far from the path, but didn't understand what the path was, that it's a simple book of a simple man that has accomplished a, a lot that started from, you wouldn't believe where it started from. And so, yeah. um, I like, you know, I like stories of, of people's trans, uh, transformation in their testimonies. And it usually comes from a dark place that God has rescued them from. Mine was not one of those stories. 
But there's many people who live in life who think that they're walking along the line of honoring God and doing good and being good, and that that good is good enough. And that's certainly the way I felt. I lived a simple life, didn't do much, didn't, didn't stray from, didn't really even try to do anything wrong. But that didn't make me a Christian. And so this is kind of a simple approach of my life of what took place, how I got from point A to point B. And certainly, um, you know, it's an honest portrayal of, of my Christian journey. That's excellent. John Smoltz been our guest. What a privilege. And uh, lastly, just how people can pray for you. What's that? How could people pray for you? Oh, I think just in my, my travels that I don't um, <laughs> get weary, uh, that, that, that I, I am able to, because I'm on a plane probably uh, close to 200 times a year, I'll be away from my home. And, uh, wow. you know, I, and those are the biggest challenges that I have when I talk about a grandson. I talk about some of the things that my schedule are exciting, but still takes me away from, you know, family and, and kids and, and all that. So it would be the travel that, that, that it doesn't, um, that it, that I don't grow weary in the things that, you know, natural travel cause you to do and get sidetracked too much. That's good. And John, as I've been saving these since, cause I know we've been going back and forth trying to coordinate a time for you to come on our program. I have the, for Chesapeake Bay golf club, which is in rising sun, Maryland, it's a championship golf course there. I have four rounds of golf, so I'll find a way to get that to you. If, and when you're up in that area, feel free to use it and enjoy on us. Okay. So, I appreciate it. I'm yeah. looking forward to the season already. Uh, I bet you are. God bless you, John. Thank you so much for taking time to be on the program today, and we'll be praying for you as you, as you uh, asked about that for traveling mercies and just uh, the, the strength to do it. So Much appreciated. Thanks, Tim. Sure thing. John Smoltz, our guest. We'll take a short break. We have some giveaways to do before the program's done. You're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. You're listening to a podcast of The Tim DeMoss Show, heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. It's 4.55, AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com, listening to The Tim DeMoss Show. Thank you for tuning in. What a privilege having John Smoltz on the program, Hall of Fame baseball pitcher elected in 2015 in his first year of eligibility only pitcher in Major League Baseball history with at least 200 wins, 150 saves. Had very uh, great success in the postseason, an eight-time All-Star. And uh, a broadcaster now and been doing the World Series, all kinds of things. I will tell you a little story. I didn't want to necessarily share it while John was on. I didn't need, I want to take his time sharing it. But when my son Toby was playing Little League Baseball, at one point his team went to Cooperstown, New York, for a huge tournament. They have these where a hundred teams will come in from all over the country every single week for about 20 or 25 weeks. It's, it's really cool. It's really neat. You, and John was actually talking about as he was growing as a player, you start to understand as you play in bigger tournaments, just how good some of the kids are in other parts of the country. And uh, you might be a big fish in your own backyard, your own County, but when you get for, go further out, it, it can change. So uh, when we went to Cooperstown, we certainly found that, we were actually 5-0 and at one point, and in our sixth game, we got clobbered by Team DiMarini, which, if you know, uh, you know that's a, that's a bat company, and they, they were sponsoring the team from California that came in, and we, held, we hung in with them for an, an inning or two, and then they wound up winning like 20-4. to four. But uh, we were at the Hall of Fame, and there was a space on the wall, and I, I took a picture of that space, and I, I texted it to John, 
And I said, maybe you're, you're, you know, it'll be you here one day. You'll have a, a plaque. And he said something to the effect, he texted back, he just said something like, really the only plaque or trophy he, that matters to him is the one, uh, you know, that, that has to do with his walk with the Lord. And he wants to uh, have his focus on that. And, that. and he said that in our interview, the Hall of Fame does not, uh, it, it matters. He doesn't want to disrespect it, of course, but. In any case, it was, it's neat to see, it's neat to hear a perspective like that, someone who's very successful and yet very grounded and knows and is living a life that has eternity in mind. With that uh, said, I do want to give away, if you're interested in, uh, I mentioned giving some uh, rounds of golf to John, uh, this is the Chesapeake Bay Golf Club in Rising Sun, Maryland. If that would be of interest to you, it's a beautiful day. And I have a, uh, a round of golf to have four rounds. It's actually you and three buddies can use this. Uh, give me a quick call at 800-560-WFIL, 800-560-9345. It's in, again, Rising Sun, Maryland. It's a certificate enabling you to four rounds of golf on the Rising Sun course. You can also text me at 610-500-DOVE, 610-500-DOVE. And we'll uh, take a random caller and or texter to pick up that certificate from uh, Rising Sun course. Chesapeake Golf Bay, uh, Chesapeake Bay Golf Club, I should say. All right, well, we'll turn things over now to Jim Maxim, Acts 413 Ministries. Thanks for listening in. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 to 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.